0: Praise the Lord. Let's be seated. Well, what a great morning. Just come back from uh, conference, pastor's conference down in uh, Queenstown, and uh, we head off tonight to Taiwan to more activity in the Holy Ghost. I love it. What a great life. Can't keep us down. Last weekend, we were in Auckland, and had an amazing time there with some churches and pastors, and just a great move of the Spirit of God to touch and help people. So today we want to uh, I want to encourage you, I want to pick up just a theme of where Pastor David's been out. I want you to open up your Bible with me and have a look in uh, Psalm 89. Psalm 89. Psalm 89. We used to sing this. We used to sing these scriptures years ago. I used to sing this one too. I liked this one, it was a great song. Here it is. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. For they shall walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all day long. In your righteousness they are exalted, and you are the glory of their strength. And in your favor, our horn, authority, our power is exalted or lifted up. Amen. What an amazing, amazing scripture. We used to sing the song many, many years ago. I want to speak, a, a, uh, uh, I want to share some things of testimony. I've been trying to work out this morning just how to kind of put it all together because. Uh, Testimony is very powerful, but you need to understand the principles or the the principles of God that undergird what happens in our life. And many times we see people's lives blessed. Our life has been incredibly blessed. So you see us where we are in this stage of life, you don't see the journey to get us there. And we see people who have prospered, got breakthroughs in business, got breakthroughs in their personal life, seeing God moving in different ways. And we want what they have. We desire what we see in their life, in their marriage, in their family, maybe in their ministry, in their gifting. Nothing wrong with desiring those things you see others have, which are good things. Nothing wrong with a godly desire. It can stir you to do something. I remember the first time I saw a man moving in the power of God. I desired it greatly. And then I began to pursue it. And so the thing is, though, I've realized, and I've gone around the world and taught on things of the Spirit, and God's given us great favor everywhere, and I've realized the more I've thought about it, that although it's easy to teach a person how to operate in the Spirit, see in the Spirit, prophesy, move in the gifts of the Spirit, the harder thing is to develop the life that would support that. And it's the underlying life and the values that you take hold of, it's the things you do out of sight that give rise to the greatness or smallness of your life. And I want to share some of those things. I guess there's probably many things I could share, so I've tried to pull it down to just a few. So notice in this scripture here, I want to just start to use this to launch off. It said, blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. Everything has a frequency. You know, you've probably listened to music this morning and when the notes blended together, it sounded sweet. And if someone had played a note out of tune, or someone had played a note out of harmony, you would have heard that. Even if it was only one or two notes, you'd have noticed it. It would jar you. It would feel something's wrong. So everything in life has a natural frequency. It's something, frequency means it's the uh, it's the number of vibrations it will make when you naturally set it in motion. So if you have a glass of water, you've probably all done this with a glass of water. If you have a glass of water, you can run your finger around the top of it, it'll start to sing. What's actually happening is it's vibrating. You'll also notice if you change the amount of water in it, that the frequency changes. You drop, lower the amount of water, it, the frequency goes up. It gets higher and higher, whatever it is, it gets higher and higher. So have a think about that. Everything has a natural frequency and when you move it or inspire it at that frequency it will resonate and you'll get an amazing response. That's why sometimes you play a speaker and suddenly something in the room will start to vibrate and shake. Why is that happening? Because the natural frequency is the same as the frequency that's being coming out of the speakers and so it begins to vibrate. It, it responds more and Anything else that's how they tune instruments, they'll have a um, well, they use different ways now. But uh, what we used to do is get a tuning fork, <coughs> sound the tuning fork, it would go, and then you would put your you tune the instrument to it. And if the instrument was out of tune, it'd go, whoa, 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 like that. As soon as it got in tune, it would sound sweet and in harmony. So, everything in life has a natural frequency. Your body also. Uh, Its DNA has a natural frequency. So when we are in tune, then everything sounds quite sweet. When you're in tune with heaven, there is a resonance in your life that brings blessing. When you're in discord with God, there is something out of harmony with God, and life becomes very difficult. We're made to be in harmony with God. Your life is made to be in harmony. So you'll find there are some things, if you put them into place in your life, your life begins to harmonize with God and you start to resonate with life and energy. Have you ever noticed, for example, if we just move from natural things, start to look at spiritual things, have you ever noticed that people who have have got a, they're ungrateful or critical? Have you ever noticed how their life, the energy they put out is very draining to you, have you ever thought about that, why is it so draining? Because it's out of harmony with what you carry, that's why you get around negative people and you feel like the energy draining out of you, you've got to do something to stop it, you get in the presence of people who are full of faith and somehow something inside you begins to come alive, you walk away and you're refreshed, that was a great connection we had. So there are some things will energize you, some things will drain you out completely. So you get near people who are negative, then it affects you in not a healthy way. Get near people who are bitter, it will affect you. Hang around people who are angry, it will affect you. So it seems as though this transference of energy or life or death, whatever people are carrying, transfers from them, fills the whole atmosphere around them. So wouldn't it be great if you were a person of faith where everywhere you went, there's a spirit inside you that believes that God is a God of miracles, that I'm not limited by where I came from, not limited by whatever has happened in my past, but my life is in God's hands. And so you set the course of your life to come in harmony with him. And so, walking with God is about bringing your life progressively into harmony with Him. If you've gone through a trauma, your life and the frequency within you of your cells and your body will probably be in discord with heaven. You'll find it difficult. Life becomes difficult when there's discord, and it becomes wonderful when there's accord with heaven. So, when it's saying about the blessed other people who know the joyful sound, the joyful sound He's talking about is the sound of the trumpets that sounded in the year of Jubilee, which happened every 50 years, and they announced freedom. Freedom from death. Freedom from bondage. Freedom from slavery. And when that trumpet sounded, oh, people celebrated. In fact, every year they celebrated in anticipation of that. They celebrated the Feast of Passover in anticipation one day of a great Savior that would come. They celebrated the feast of Pentecost in anticipation of an a pouring out of the Spirit. They celebrated the feast of harvest in anticipation of that great end-time revival and the coming of the Lord. That's the joyful sound. And every time they had that feast, there would be Jerusalem would be filled with a sound of joy. So those who know the joyful sound, it's a sound of heaven. So we want to have, carry a sound of God now. I won't go into this too much, but here's just a few simple things to think about before we start to share some principles we've grown in our life. First, everything has a natural frequency or sound. Secondly, where there's a lack of agreement with God, there'll be discord and disharmony. Third, you'll find that the presence of God throughout the Bible was often associated with a certain sound. And what do I mean by that? Well, Paul and Silas were in the prison and they began to praise and thank the Lord and a sound came out of prison. That was the only, that's the only cell in the prison where there was praise and thanksgiving. The rest were all sitting complaining. But God heard a sound come out of one cell and an earthquake came shook it. everyone was set free. What about in 2 Chronicles 5 verse 14? tells us there that they came together with one accord in one place and they began to sound trumpets and as they sounded and worshipped and were in harmony, God's presence came. Seems like God likes the right kind of sound. Joshua was told, Joshua, I know you've got a great army. You've got all these soldiers and weapons. He said, but here's the strategy. Walk around the city in silence. And then when time comes, I want you all to be in agreement and let out a strong sound. And out of that sound of triumph, God came. Flattened the walls of the city. Over and over and over through the Bible you find examples of this. Jehoshaphat got him surrounded by an enemy army outnumbering him. And God said, I want you to go out in the morning and have the singers sing and the worshippers worship. And as they worshipped, God sent an ambushment against their enemies. Now notice each of these situations, the people made the sound. Acts chapter 2 verse 1. They were all together with one accord. What were they doing? Praying and crying out to God. And what happened? There was a sound came from heaven and fire fell upon them. You find even when Jesus comes, he will come with a sound. Uh, There's so many examples through the Bible of of when people made a sound that was in harmony with heaven. God came. That's why we have praise and worship, by the way. And when everyone presses in with a desire for God, and we all engage and become involved, the atmosphere becomes filled with his presence. There's a certain sound. I've been in some churches, and it's very passive. It's a horrible sound. I hate it. And God hates it too, because he doesn't come. He doesn't. It's just miserable lack of the presence of God. Listen, there are things we can do to bring our life into alignment with heaven. And when we do, and there's a sound flowing from our life, God comes on it. I would share many things on like that, but I want to pick up not so much of just making a physical sound. I want to share about the sound of your life. What sound does your life make? See, so we reap a result of the choices we make. So wherever you are now, you're there because of decisions you made. You say, well, I come from a very bad background. It's not your background, it's not your family, it's not even the experiences you had on the way. It's always your choices how to respond. Your response will bring you into alignment with heaven and cause your life to resonate and get stronger, or your choices will cause your life to be overwhelmed, become negative and discord. So you meet people who are depressed and addicted and all kinds of things. They've been overcome by situations, tragic situations, but they never followed God's way. And so we reap, and we're reaping in our life, wonderful blessing. It's the way it ought to be. People in the latter years of their life should be reaping great blessing in their personal life, their family, their finances. Every aspect of life should be improving and increasing and growing because of sowing. And There's always a delay between sowing and reaping. So people see our ministry and they say, well, Pastor, lay hands so I can have what you have. I kind of, yeah, yeah, right. We'll pay the price to get, well, you know something. I can lay hands and and give impartation, but you have to make room in your life for it to take hold. If you don't change how you live and how you think, make room in your thinking for the things God wants to do, make room in your emotions for the things God wants to do, make room in your life for the thing God wants to do, it'll just be a buzz you got in the church. And I've seen so many people hungry, but they don't understand you must make room in your life for God. You have to make room for the things of God. So if you wanted, for example, an anointing of healing or deliverance, or well, we could lay hands to release that anointing, but you would have to make room in your prayer time, in your reading, in your personal life to engage people in need and to help them, otherwise that will never grow. And it's those kind of things I want to talk about. And of course there's so much, but let me just, since I've just got this one session, I want to share with you several things. Number one, priorities. Priorities. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Your priorities tell a message about you, and your priorities in life are either bringing you nearer into alignment with heaven, or they're keeping you from experiencing the good things that God has. So in Matthew 6 and verse 33, Jesus lays out what our priorities should be. He starts off by saying, well, in the world people are really anxious and uptight and depressed. They have a lot of problems, and he says, why are they having those problems? because they're worrying about so many things. They're worried about food. What shall we eat? They're worried about what we'll wear. They're worried about where we'll live. They're worried about what neighborhood they'll live in. They're worried about what car they'll drive. They're worried about their career. They're worried about t- they're worried about lots of things. He says but he says no one improved their life by worrying. So then he says, now this is what you need to do. Now this is a choice. He said, seek first the kingdom of God And his righteousness. And then he said, if you will make it a priority to put God's kingdom first in your life and bring your life into right order with him in that, he said, all the things everyone else sweats about will just come into you. In other words, putting the kingdom first or setting a priority right will activate a law of attraction that will eventually cause things to be attracted into your life. And what others have to work hard for, God will cause to flow like a river to you. That's a good good scripture, very, very powerful scripture, a foundational scripture to my life. The word first means the highest priority or rank. So what is first in your life? Well, what's first in your life will be revealed every day, how you spend your money, how you spend your time. Spend some time in the Lord in the morning, Tells me that God is important to you. Spend some time reading his word. Oh, God is important to you. Neglect that, of course, and then it tells us that's not important to you. So your time and where you spend your time reveals what is important. You can't fool the spiritual world. Only fool yourself. That's all, fool ourselves. So notice, first, seek first. Seek it or pursue God's kingdom. Now, when it says God's kingdom, it's not, it didn't say pursue God's democracy. It didn't say pursue a, 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 a style of relationship with God where you can argue with them about life. It didn't say that. It says seek his kingdom. The kingdom is where he rules or where he has a will and we obey that will. That's what that means. That's why Jesus said when you pray, pray, Our Father in heaven. Your name is holy, and we bless your name. Now may your kingdom come, may your will be done. And You'll find his will written in the word of God. Right? In everything, give thanks. There's lots of ways you can discover that. So when it's talking about the kingdom, it's talking about God's rule in your life that allows him to flow through you and bring the blessings of heaven into your life and through your life to touch others. So if we want the blessings of heaven, but we don't want to order our life. See, everyone wants to be blessed. But blessing comes out of divine alignment with you. You, div- you align your life in God's order. And he says, here's number one, seek first the kingdom of God. So if you were to think about your life, Well, suppose this stage here represented your life, and that little piece from the wall to the steps here, that's your life, and the rest sort of is eternity. It's a lot further over the other side, isn't it? So your life is really quite short compared to eternity. So you're not going to be doing nothing in eternity. Your life is your apprenticeship. It's your apprenticeship. And so death won't help you. Death's an enemy. It's a step into eternity. So we have the kingdom now and God's moving in our lives now, we have an eternal kingdom in which we will share with him. And so you're in an apprenticeship right now. So place Jesus first. So what does it mean to seek first the kingdom? It means place Jesus and his interests ahead of everyone and everything. Place Jesus first. That's what it means. Place his interests first. Now, you see, most people just want an add-on God. I want him to help me and bless my life, but I still want to do this first, or that first, it's usually me first. So it's all about me, and can God help me get ahead? That's not kingdom. Kingdom is what can I do in response to what Jesus has done to represent him and advance his kingdom? That's a great, great way of thinking. If you have that way of thinking, it'll help your life change. Was revolutionary for me means to pursue him means to surrender to obey him without complaining or arguing that's a challenging thought isn't it eh? to surrender to him and stop arguing with him and god speaks to you just stop arguing it's yes sir There's a lot of people haven't got that they think lord just means friend but the two words for father one is abba meaning someone dear and intimate and loving who's tender The other is pater or pater, meaning literally Lord, Master, the one who rules the house that I need to respect and have reverence for. So our relationship with God is on the one hand intimate and the other is respectful. And if you're disrespectful, you lose intimacy. They go hand in hand like that. So how much of our priority is Jesus and his interests in your heart? He's interested in people. He's interested in people, and not just your family. He's interested in people in the community that don't know him. There's people right now who would look out at night, and they would say, God, if you're real, help me. My life is in so much pain. So to seek God first or seek his kingdom first means we want to represent him well and advance his interests. So if you will put his interests first, he will certainly... Take care of all of yours. That's the line I've taken all our, our, our journeys. When I got a revelation of the kingdom, I made a decision that God would be first. We would put what he said first. Here's a second principle. So if people live that out, eventually it shows up in their life. How does it show up in their life, by the way? Oh, all things get added to them. Well, man, you got it easy. Man, how'd you get all that? How'd this happen? Well, they, I don't know how it happened. seemed to get added into my life somehow without me trying too hard. While everyone else was worrying, we were pursuing building something for God, and he added the other things in. Oh, you got real quiet. Second thing is faith. Faith. Faith is something tangible in the spirit. Faith is a persuasion that God can be trusted. It's a persuasion that his word is true. So in Hebrews 11 verse 6, it said, without faith, it is impossible impossible, not even a little bit to please him. So just turning up, that's not going to do it. What pleases him is trust. When I lean my life to depend on him, well, I don't want to depend on anyone, I want to run my life with God helping me and blessing me. No, God wants you to learn to lean on him. I just It's a bit tough, haven't I? What if he didn't let me down? We see that's what faith is about, it's about God being faithful in character, and never failing us. Of course, sometimes he doesn't do it the way we want or when we want. Leaves us hanging out there. I mean, that's a little bit of a challenge, isn't it? But one way your faith is demonstrated is by building a strong prayer life. The only reason I'm here is because Joy's grandmother came up in a Smith Wigglesworth meeting and was a woman of faith. And she prayed for this Catholic boy for probably two or three years when Joy's mum was sweating over me, worried about me, and troubled about me, very disturbed about this Catholic boy. One day, Anna came and spoke to Joy's mum and said this, We have broken through in prayer. You don't need to be worried anymore. See, see faith, faith shook me out of where I was and got me into the presence of God. She didn't stop praying, I don't think, because I ended up being a pastor. And that wasn't quite what everyone had in mind either. They thought I'd be something else. But God heard that prayer. I am thankful someone prayed. I am thankful someone <laughs> believed that no matter how tough it looked, I could be rooted out of where I was and brought into the kingdom of God. Faith, you need to believe that about people. That's what God is looking for. He's looking for us to dare to believe that the impossible circumstances are easy to God. So we grow our faith in prayer. So I began my journey and started quite soon to realize the people around me were prayers. God surrounded me with praying people. And so praying an hour a day was the norm. I remember going in the first prayer meeting, it was very tough Could pray five minutes and I was done. They all went on and out. I thought, my God, this is never going to end. <laughs> I feel, I'm feeling in pain just being here. <laughs> well, that's like running around the block, you know, like running. I mean, Bruce didn't get to where he is just overnight, you know. He, he started one day, and it was a bit of aches and pains on that day. But eventually, now he's done some marathons like Andrew and others. So prayer. So we made it a practice to pray. And I said, the course of my life that every day... I'd be up at 5 a.m. praying because prayer connects you into God. I would pray and pray strongly. Everyone in the house knew I prayed. (laughs) Kids would bring their friends, what's that noise? (laughs) That's dad praying. We prayed. We were unashamed about praying. We prayed strongly. We prayed and poured our hearts out to God. That's how you get it, prayer. See, prayer, personal prayer. Not only was there personal prayer, there was fasting. You made a practice to fast one day a week, and then every now and then fast for a bit longer. Because Jesus talked about when you pray and when you fast, the Father will reward you openly. So faith activates the law of reward. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You want to be rewarded openly? Do the private stuff. People want the outward stuff and they don't want the private stuff. I look and I talk to Brighton about the outcome of this year's season on on his orchard. Brilliant. The best apples, highest rating. He got an amazing testimony. But then I heard, well, how did you get all of that? How come yours is the only orchard like that? Prayed. I prayed. And I believe God, my wife stood with me in praying and believing. And then the harvest. Now, now, he's got to tell you his story. You've got to get up and tell the story at some stage, because his, his orchard is the norm now. The new norm. Well, and that's something out, and that's something. And people say, "Well, how did that happen? You must be lucky. Without faith, you cannot please God. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And the Word of God, we made it a habit as part of this area of faith, is building faith through time in the Word of God. I would never go to a meeting without something to share. People come to house meetings now. They need a video. They need someone to help them. They need someone to tell them everything. They don't spend time in prayer and the Word of God. You have to do that. That's how your faith is built. You can't just build your faith Sunday to Sunday or midweek to midweek. Daily, you put God first and make a decision. You'll build faith. Faith is built through the Word of God, through meditating in the Word of God, taking time to do that, pursuing His presence. Okay, and then the third one, or third point is, is obedience. Now, obedience is a word people don't like. They'd rather have the word suggestion. Look at this, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and God's speaking to the, uh, the people of Israel, and later on, someone asked Jesus, what's the great commandment? And he quoted this verse, so it's got to be an important verse, isn't it? Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, you'll love the Lord your God, verse 5, with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. The words which I command you this day shall be in your heart, and you'll teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, lie down and rise up. Well, that's an amazing scripture. So the love of God, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart. One of the key ways it's revealed that you love God is you obey his commands. And Jesus reinforced that in John 14. He said, he that has my words and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he says, my Father and I will come and make ourselves manifest in their life. So, you, now, it's your obedience, people find that hard. Now, ob- this, obedience is where you, your life gets tuned up and you're back in tune with God. Obedience is where you recognize God's way is better than yours, even though you think your way is better. And so all of the struggles with obedience are because we think our way is a better way and we don't really believe God's way would do it. So I had to learn that. Had to learn over the issue of water baptism. I sprinkled and I thought I was baptized. And then one day God said, You're not baptized at all. You need to get water baptized. I said, Yes, sir. Then he spoke about my finances. You need to tithe. I said, Yes. And that first time I (laughs) tithe, full of fear said, you need to break out of the fear of lack and break into confidence. Because he said, here's the thing you'll find, all the time you're insecure over money, but if you put the first fruits in my hand, then a security will come into your life financially. Now, understand I got security that God was going to provide before seeing anything happen. And there's a delay sometimes in our stepping out. Sometimes God's wonderfully gracious, and immediately you start, you get an immediate breakthrough. But I've learned it's just a principle now, and to just do it. Just do it. It's just like it doesn't belong to me. If something, you know, like your taxes, they don't belong to you. They belong to the government, you see? But your, the tithe belongs to God. So if you just sort of have this automatic thing that that bit belongs to God, it's not mine anyway. So the only thing I've got to do is make sure he gets it. Didn't get diverted somewhere. (laughs) So, obedience. So, that man, making radical decisions. The Lord spoke to me about TV, getting rid of TV and stopping going to movies. Spoke to me about my car, which I loved. Beautiful Jaguar car. As well as a 1934 V8 that had been redone. It was beautiful too. He said, I want you to get rid of these things which have become an idol in your heart. Yes, sir. You just have to make the decisions when God's talking to you about things which are in the way. And it's always just make the decision, yes. You find it works out a lot better. I, the, when we were making our first steps and following the Lord, I was surprised to find how much resistance there was from family. I thought they would be glad we'd become a Christian, glad that I was called into ministry, but they were not glad. I thought this was a very serious backward step and made it evident in various ways. But we decided to follow what God said to do. I remember how awkward and embarrassing it was to meet with my university friends. And they'd all ask me, well, what are you doing? Well, I'm head of physics and engineering laboratory in, in Wellington. Well, that's wonderful. What are you doing? Well, I'm in charge of computers. And, this, and so they went through all their things. They said, what are you doing? I feel... Well I just run a Christian school with about twenty five students in it. And they look, and I got upset and I got six kids as well. And they look You know, sometimes people don't need to say a lot. It's the look. In that look everything is said. And the look of and you're religious as well. This is the one that flunked class. We thought he was doing okay, but now he's clearly lost it. But later on, God showed me how blessed our life was and I got opportunity to meet some of these ones and they're not doing so good, not doing so good. Okay? It looked a bit stupid at the beginning, obeying God, but at the end, it worked out just really good, really good. <laughs> it's often the way. But you see, obedience to God isn't just about that, it was also about our family. So every day, and I really thank God for joy, just an amazing wife, amazing family builder, I would never be able to do what I do without her having also committed to walk in the same life and same principles. Amazing woman. Amazing woman. And so we built a family time with God every day. Every morning we would breakfast together and pray and read the Word of God. Every morning, without exception. We wore out Bibles. We read them so many times. And every evening we'd bring the family together, no phone on the hook, and we would talk together and interact together. Every week we'd have a family night to build family. Because God said, you need to, notice that scripture, love the Lord with all you God got all your heart. And he said, and you'll teach them to your children. You don't rely on the church to do the job you're called to do. You teach to your children. So how many parents are doing that? An intentional building of an altar to God in the home where it counts in your personal home. And I had to take responsibility for that. I wasn't used to these things. But fortunately, Joy's father modeled it. So I saw someone modeling it, and so we had something to start with. And we started by copying and then developed some things ourselves. We had family times. I'd make appointments with my children to have a special time with them. You, nothing happens by chance. You've got to order your life according to God's way. Quiet here. (laughs) And uh, that meant our home was always open. When we bought a home, we bought a home not just so that our family could live in it, we bought a home that would be useful for serving God. So the homes were always big, still are big now. We could just have a little place, but no, no, I'm just doing some renovation now so Dave and Kate can hold leaders' meetings up the other end more easily. You see, it's just a decision about what you place value on. It's a decision where you put your money and where you put your time. And so we've always had homes where people came. It didn't matter if they were old homes initially. And, you know, we had an old home, big old house, you know, but like an old house is. But we had pastor's meetings. We had leaders' meetings. We even held Christian in our house. Church was small, and we couldn't afford a creche anywhere, and we got so many kids because we were, I don't know, they all seemed to produce for some reason. And then we had kids. So our house, we'd have about 20 kids at our house Sunday mornings for creche until it got so big we had to rent out the local kindergarten, and then it, we had two of them. We had so many kids, like a revival of kids, babies. I don't know why we're having all so many kids. Anyway, there it was. But, but it's, again, it's just thinking. See, a lot of people's home is not available for God, or if it is, you'd be too uptight to go into it. That's not kingdom. That's insecurity and fear and pride. See, we make what we have available. I don't own it anyway. See, nothing we have we own. Check it out. When people die, they don't own anything. They leave it behind. They don't really own it. They're only a steward for a little while. So we got this principle that you obey God. So not only did I pray privately, I prayed with the family, and I prayed at work. I would go in every day to pray at work. Prayer is an expression of faith. So I prayed at work that God would bless my work. And so my work prospered because prayer undergirded everything I did. See, it, these, see people wonder how it is that my classes grew and grew and grew. I'll tell you how. One of the biggest reasons was prayer. They wonder how the family was able to be all at the stage in their life, be married and have children, all be in church and all giving to God. Prayer and you never stop, you keep praying. See, these are the values you build in your life that have a resulting blessing, see? And when God said you need to open your heart and get healed from background issues, we humbled ourselves and opened our heart and did that and got healed and delivered. Still getting in the process of that. So, there's some things. Here's, I'll give you a couple more principles, I'm running out of time now, but another one is, the, is, the, is sacrifice. You see, in the kingdom of God, we're called to follow Jesus. Jesus sacrificed his life. I don't even have thought about that. But the one we follow left heaven, that's a sacrifice, came to earth, that's a sacrifice, born helpless and dependent, that's a sacrifice, lived his life in a body which he didn't need to live in, that's a sacrifice, and then gave up his life on the cross. And so we're called to follow him. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We tend to want an easy Christianity which is full of blessings, but not sacrifice. Now, sacrifice works like this. I mean, it can be a nasty word and can be really heavy, but if you just look at it like this whatever you do is done out of duty. Or it's done as of a gift and offering to God. If you serve God out of duty, it's no life in it. But if you place whatever you have before God and yield it to Him as an offering, then it's a sacrifice. And He is blessed, and everything you do is blessed, even if you don't do it right. That's a hard thing for people to get their head around. But I have discovered this: that some people seem to just walk in a river of blessing. And you look at their life and there's lots of holes you can see and they're not even doing everything right. And yet somehow God seems to like them and it seems to work out. And you think, that's definitely not fair. Because I am trying so hard to get mine so right. And nothing like that's happened. It's just definitely not equal and not fair. How did they do it? And I realized and found this out one day. It's because they just offered whatever they did to the Lord and he considered an offering to him and just brought blessing on it. And whether they did it right or wrong wasn't the whether it got fruit or didn't get fruit wasn't the issue. They got freed from striving. You just learn how to live. My life's an offering to God. So whatever I do, I'm just making an offering to Him. So you work as your offering. You see, you get used to the principle of sacrifice. And of course, sacrifice has got some cost to it. There are times when you do have to sacrifice. There are times when it's incredibly costly. So we made ourselves available to serve in church, And whatever it took. That was the thing. I reduced my salary many times, many times, voluntarily. it 's not so easy to let go of your salary. I had my salary uh, cut down to one quarter, and some people were saying, Well, you should be just trusting God for it all. I found that hard to swallow, but however, we lived off one hundred and twenty dollars a week for about eight years. so but God provided, and I had to learn how to lean into Him and depend on Him, and never to let the children know that we didn't have any money. To always believe, they never thought we were poor. We weren't really, because God was looking after us. So people would arrive with meat. people would arrive with this, people would arrive with that. But we learned how to live simply and grateful and consider it a joy to sacrifice to God. These are the things that build a godly life. Well, you, they, yeah, Jesus made it real clear. Deny self. In other words, no more selfies. Oh, no, no, <laughs> no more selfies, eh? See, be available. See, sacrifice, it's, it activates the law of commitment. See, you make a commitment, I will hang in with God no matter what. So that meant, in terms of, let's just put it in some simple things, in terms of giving, we never stopped giving, even when it was tough. In terms of attendance, I never stayed. We never stayed home from church. We always attended. Why? Because our presence there was important, even if I wasn't preaching or doing anything. It's just I wanted to be committed to the house of God. It says of Jesus, he turned up at church, the synagogue, as was his habit. It's, it's like a principle of life that you put God first. I was just talking to one of the pastors that said, Oh man, we've got some troubles, These, a lot of the folk have bought a holiday home, so now because they've got a holiday home they've got to go to the beach every weekend So pretty well as far as the kingdom goes in building the local church, you could write them off as not counting That's really what's happening See it costs you something, but have a look around the world, read the paper, see what people are doing in countries, laying down their life, paying an immense price because they're Christian Young girls, Christian girls, and what's happening to them in Pakistan and some of these other countries, you look and you just weep and think, Man, I'm giving so little in comparison to what some of these people are giving. It, it's like just let that be the spirit around your life a spirit of commitment to Christ, commitment to His cause. I live to bring honor to Him. See, it's, it's, it's something you build inside you, and God can work with that. It's a marriage. You don't sort of one day wake up and think, oh, I don't think I'll be married this week. I think I'm going to have a bit of a fling. You, you don't do that. You know, you know the marriage would end real quick. But yet people think they can do that with God. and They're going to walk in a great flow of blessing when there's inconsistencies all the time. And you, you find it. And so, so, so there, sacrifice. It costs you something. It's always cost us something. When it came to do the building, we had to be the biggest givers. We just decided we'd give as much as we could. We gave a lot. When it came to doing other things, I decided we'd be great givers. Coming up to Pakistan, I thought, let's give and let's see if we can make a donation and a gift and an offering that will cause everyone to be inspired. It's how you do life. This is how you do life with God. And, and when you do it with a good heart, God, it's amazing what God does. So, Service, spirit of service. In Matthew 20, verse 25 to 28, Jesus said, You want to be great? Well, everyone wants to be great. And what they really want is a prophecy like this. Thou art great, and thou shalt be even greater. <laughs> I love those kind of prophecies that stroke the ego. Give me another one. I need another one. Tell me how great I am. Oh, wonderful. Now listen, Jesus said, You want to be great, that's awesome. You were designed for greatness, but here's how it takes place. You put on the heart and spirit of a servant, and you learn to serve, and the more people you're able to serve, that's the greater your capacity and the greatness you have in the kingdom. Now, of course, that's, you've got to realize that that's connected to every individual's state and where they are. If you're a solo mother and you've got a handful of children then your main serving will be with your family, and you'll do what else you can to include others. We found that you've got a lot of kids. No one wants you around. It's better to bring people to your place so you end up having more. And so you, but you, you can still serve. Everyone can serve somewhere, somehow. Everyone's got something. You good tinkering on tools or something? Go find someone that's in need of a fix-up and help them get it fixed. There's always something. Look for opportunities to serve. If you take life like this, I am here today, full of the spirit of God, and I have come to make life better for someone. You can serve people anywhere, make their life happier, and do something for them. You serve them. And, and, and it doesn't matter what position you have. It's terrible when leaders get full of the Spirit of God and get full of their own importance, forget to do the simple things. <laughs> Serving. Just help someone get a cup of coffee. or help someone get a cup of tea. In my case, I had to do the dunnies. I mean, the toilet got blocked, and I'm the principal of the school, and we couldn't get any person to come and fix the toilets up. So it meant close the school, or who will do it? Who can I delegate that one to? Now I had to roll up sleeves and just go and put my hand down. and I still don't want to remember what it was like, but it's a trauma. I might need healing. I think I might need to come and get healing from that. It's still with me. I shudder even now just thinking of what that was like. However, that's called serving. See? You just serve. You learn to serve. And perhaps, not lastly, but another principle we took on was the principle of submission and honor, the, the law of honor, honoring those that God had placed in our lives To be a blessing to us So it says in Hebrews 13 and verse 17 It said Obey those that have the rule over you And submit to them So they might do it with joy Rather than with sorrow So we made it a principle That whatever person God put us under We would look past the humanity And see the gift of God And receive the gift of God Welcome the person And just give grace for all the little lacks Sometimes there were many lacks I walked through a number of betrayals by leaders, but you can look past all of that and forgive all of that and see what God has got on their life for you. So the principle of honor is a principle that once it's established in your life, it causes you to relook at everyone. I remember going to my boss and apologizing to him because of my lack of carrying out the wishes he had the way he wanted. And I asked his forgiveness and undertook to serve and honour him as best I could. Just been at a conference of pastors, and Clark Taylor, who helped me get activated, and the Spirit was there. And so we put a financial gift out and publicly honoured him and privately honoured him. It's You never let go of these principles. You never let them go. But many people, it's not a joy to pastor them. It's actually a sorrow and a stress. Oh, now... You probably all want me to sing a song and finish now. No, it is listen. What makes it a joy is when a person's receptive to you speaking into them. Now, if you won't be spoken into, you'll just have to you'll you'll lose the blessing of the person God put into your life to help you, and you have to find it the hard way or not at all. Just suffer. Never knowing why it's not going so good and feeling embittered and injustice all the time. But what if you just said, Lord, I want to recognize people you have put in my life. So wherever God places you under authority, whether it's at work or wherever it happens to be, ha- treat them with an attitude of respect because God can use them to do something for you. You start to treat people differently. You got, you, you're in a, in a group. That let the leader speak into your life. You see something in me. I had a young master, a minister just come up the other day, yesterday. said, if you see anything in me that you feel needs adjusting, could you please speak into my life? That's what sons and fathers do That's the way they behave We've grown up without fathers And so we're not used to that kind of anyone telling us anything But what if someone could see something in your life But any time they tried to speak to you You reacted so badly That they walked away Feeling quite grieved and hurt And feeling It's going to be hard to go and try and do this again I've had that many times Walked away heavy, depressed, quite rejected really because I could see something that would help them and they would not receive it. They actually wouldn't receive me as God's representatives talking into their life. A lot of people go through unnecessary suffering because of that. So wherever I came into any situation, I'd say, please, if you see something in my life that you could help or needs to grow or is immature, could you talk to me about it? Because the moment you do that, you become secure. Why do you get secure? Because you don't have to worry. You can just be yourself, and if something's up, they'll tell you. And when they tell you, make it easy. Oh, I didn't see that. Not, that's not true. I don't agree with you. You know, that kind of, okay. No, just, I didn't see that. Can we pray that God will open my eyes to see it? I really do want to become the very best I can. You see, these are principles we put in our life. Great lives are built. They're not an accident. I would love if you would start to take one of those principles and put it into your life and practice it until it's natural and normal and you're in harmony with heaven in that part of your life. You'll experience a river of blessing. So just close your eyes for a moment. I wonder if there's any part of your life which is out of tune with God in discord or disharmony with God. There may be men here and you're not praying, you're not leading your family spiritually. What you're doing is abandoning the assignment God gave you and leaving your family spiritually uncovered and your wife with the burden of carrying the weight of prayer and care spiritually for the family. That's something to repent of. It's burdensome to her and it's a shame to you. Maybe others here today and there's areas and you're so erratic in your commitment, it's just come if I like, don't come if I don't like. There's, there's no sense of building a commitment to God daily. And you say, well, I can't seem to hold it. Well, okay, go get some help and find out what is going on that causes you to draw away from those sorts of commitments. Because great lives are built by little things done every day. If we could look at the habits in your life, we'd see where the trend of your life was going took a photograph of your bank account, it wouldn't say anything. It could be going up or down. But if you watch the trend and the tendency, we'd see whether you're prospering or going backwards. I've seen people with so little, yet they're in a great arc of blessing because everything they have is available. To